ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be there here in, in just a bit. Um, there is uh, something that, that if, you, if you notice that there's some areas that are blocked off in the back part of the church building here because there's some remodels being done to, uh, as I understand it, there's two stalls in the current ladies' bathroom. And it's going to be greatly expanded. And so some of that in the next weeks, there's going to be some plumbing going in. And I know that, that uh, Lance, the man, Vogley, and he wants to be known as the man from now on. Is that correct? Lance, the man, Vogley, and Chris, Big Cat. Is that, is that the nickname you want from now on? Chris, Big Cat, Wrangle, right? No. These guys have been here a, a bunch tearing stuff out and doing some remodels in order to, to put things together. And it's going to be great when it's done. We've got some sawdust around for the moment, and uh, boy, that's, we'll survive that. It's going to be all right. But uh, what, what things will look like on the, the tail end of this is going to be, going to be really good because we'll have a whole lot more space in the restroom. So that's all in process, and I'm sure that, that Lance and Chris, if you want to, to take a tour to go look down there today, they'll take you down there and you can just see how things are coming together. Uh, there is a, is we're gonna as we've been talking about, Lord willing, in the next uh, next month we're gonna appoint some other shepherds to to help shepherd the church here spiritually, and so we're gonna walk through uh, some more about what that means today and and what are what are we supposed to look like as a people, but I'll give you just a Cliff Notes version of what's gonna happen a few weeks from now. There's going to be a few people appointed by the elders to help oversee this process of asking the church. Who shepherds you and who are the people that, that you're asking to, to shepherd the church going forward? And there is um, one of the things that's, that's, that I want to just to plant the seed right now so you can be thinking about it is this is a decision that we as a church come to as a consensus. It's not just a, a, someone sits over here and says, I think these people should or I think this person should or I think he would be good and, and that's, that's it. But... We're going to have a process where uh, there's going to be a, basically a sheet of paper handed out to you asking two big questions. Who are people that you would recommend to serve as shepherds, that you would like to see serve as shepherds in the church you're going forward? Number two, who, is, who do you go to and ask for counsel and spiritual guidance um, on a regular basis when you, when you need, need help? And what that does is it helps us understand who is the church asking to be shepherds now and also who is the next generation that's coming up and who do we help cultivate to, to uh, be the shepherds and the next time we go around. And so those are the, the questions. And so be praying about those and thinking about those. And we're going to have some time as, as a church that we pray through that uh, as well together. And so we're going to go into 1 Timothy and Titus today, talking about shepherding qualities from these, these passages. Because both in 1 Timothy and Titus, Paul tells both Timothy and Titus, here is what you want to appoint for shepherds. This is what these people are supposed to look like. Okay, now, here's, but before we do that, and we're just going to get into one quality today, and then we'll, we'll hit more in the next weeks. But what's so important is with these passages just like everything else in Scripture, is starting with a solid foundation. Okay, How many of you build houses? There's some of us here. Some of you, I should say, build houses. I, try, I just do what I'm told in those things. Okay? Now, I understand, and this makes perfect sense, that you have to start with what's the most important part of the house. 
The foundation. Okay. So if you don't worry about the foundation and you just know kind of whatever, just uh, just throw whatever down there. But boy, you can build up something really beautiful. It's going to be fantastic. That'll be great, won't it? Mm, maybe not so much. I know that during the time that I lived in Great Falls, Great Falls has is notorious for terrible, terrible building soil. It's the whole town is is on clay. And so there's times where you go into to basements and houses and there would be gaps in sheetrock like this, just where things had moved six inches and just uh, things moving around because when things get wet underneath, it's not like a, a gravel bed here in Belgrade, but it's, it's just clay that moves all over the place. In fact, there's a building that is built up there that I talked with someone who is part of the design process at going through all of building this particular building. And... As I was asking them questions, they said, basically, Chris, this is our problem. What we did is when we did the engineering for this particular building, uh, there, it's a big building. That's, that's, there's a main area in the middle, and then there's wings out each side. And what we did is we, we drilled uh, basically you know, piers for the main building to some extent and then just floated the, the wings on just concrete slabs. And so what happens is the building does this on a regular basis. And I remember the comment that this lady made to me. She said, uh, there is, what we did is we spent a whole lot of money on trim and glass and stone, and we tried to go economical on the foundation. And I would strongly recommend whenever you build something that you do the opposite. And there's a good message in that. And, and, and that's why it's so important what we're going to walk through here in the next little bit. And I'll tell you why. Because when we look at 1 Timothy and Titus, just like everything else in Scripture, things that matter, things that are really important to us, if we're not careful, we can take them out of context and it leads us to a place that, that God never intended. Okay? For example, uh, there's a, a word that we use quite a bit. And, and it's fine. It just depends on what we mean by it. Okay, when you look at these, these uh, descriptions in 1 Timothy and Titus, for example, if you're in 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's probably a subheading there. Does any of you in the Bibles that you use, does the subheading say qualifications? Okay, mine does. Mine says qualifications. Okay, now that term is fine depending on what we mean by it. Okay, and so qualifications can mean a checklist. Okay, and we're going to talk about that. What, why that's, that's difficult or why that presents a problem for us. Or we can mean qualifications meaning qualities, qualities that, that, that we look for and that this is the type of thing that, uh, that, that God has intended for us to understand from this. Okay, so what it matters is context, context, context. What is the nature of, of what Paul is writing to the, these people who are going to be appointing elders and working with elders? Okay, let's, let's go back, and we're going to go away from Scripture here for a minute to two different things that were written, one by Diogenes Laertius. He's a Stoic philosopher, and here's a, he writes the concept of what a good man is all about, and this is what he writes. He must be married, he must be without pride, he must be temperate, and he must combine prudence of mind with excellence of outward behavior. And that's his description. This is what my ideal man looks like right here. Okay? Here's another one. This guy's name is Otosander, and he's another Greek that he is writing about what the, uh, the ideal commander, ideal military commander looks like. And look what he says here. He must be prudent, self-controlled, sober, frugal, enduring in toil, intelligent, 
without love of money, neither young nor old, if possible, the father of a family, able to speak competently and of good reputation. Okay, look at that one. This is what his description of what a good military commander looks like. Hey, now, there's, there's great stuff there, great stuff there to learn from. Okay, now we're going to read through here, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and I have it up here so we can all read along together. I'll read to you. How's that? Okay. The saying, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer or elder, remember elder, shepherd, overseer, all the interchangeable words. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. Okay, here's a description. This is what you look for. Let's look at the Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might... Put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Okay, so we look at these descriptions here. Uh, what do we make of those? Okay, How do we approach those, and, and how do we read these in a way that God would want us to? Hey, let's look at, at this. Okay, checklists versus a description of qualities. Okay, checklists, here's where we can get ourselves in trouble. Because checklists emphasize certain qualities and exclude other important qualities. Okay? So when we look at these these lists here that Paul and Timothy or that Paul gives to both Timothy and Titus, if we look at it from the perspective of, okay, this is a checklist, I need to go down, check, 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 all the way down. Here's what we, we find ourselves in, in trouble with. And I'll use Otisander, what he has to say as, as an example. You notice when, when Otisander talks about what an ideal army command, or military commander looks like, never once does he say someone who has ever been in battle, or never once does he say someone who is, has um, a history of, of understanding how to use a sword or warfare or any of that. But I would think if we were face-to-face with Otisander, and he was saying, and, and we said, well, you know, from your description, I believe that we can appoint any, any man that has a great, these qualities that we listed, but since you didn't mention having a military background, then having a military background is not necessary. And I think Otisander's response would be, are we really having this discussion? Okay, I wrote a description for you to help you understand what that looks like. Of course, if he's going to be a military general, he needs to be someone who has military experience. And that's what his response would be. Okay, so when we look at Timothy and Titus, what's important for us to note here is that these are not 
exhaustive checklists, what we see in Timothy and Titus. And sometimes we approach them that way. But you notice in all of this, never once in these checklists does, now it's inferred all through it, but never once does it say, you need to appoint someone who loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, hopefully, if someone's going to shepherd God's church, he definitely loves God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Never says, this person must not worship idols. This person never says, talks about some of the fruit of the Spirit, like, like demonstrating joy and some of that. Those aren't, some of those qualities are not listed in some of this, this description that's there. And so if we approach Paul and said, all right, here's the deal, Paul. We understand that this is the, the, the checklist that we walk through, and, uh, but, there's a, but, but you didn't uh, um, mention that, that somebody needs to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that's a, maybe that's not a, the, the highest quality that, or something that's very important. What do you think Paul's response would be? Are we really having this discussion? Seriously, are we really, really, really going to go there? And so understand that these are not ever... Paul's purpose was not to create an exhaustive checklist that we go down point by point and, and try to find ways to exclude people. Okay, That's sometimes what happens. But are descriptions that help us understand this is the type of man that you need to appoint to shepherd you. When you look at this description, who comes to mind? Who are the names that, that float to the surface and say, yeah, that's, that's, who, that's who he's talking about. This, that's this person here. Okay, Let's think about it from a different angle here. Okay, Timothy versus Titus. If you look through Timothy and Titus, there are different qualities brought up in each of them. Some of them, they share a whole lot of the similar qualities, but there are some different. There is a lot of of stuff and material that's been made of those differences, and what do we infer from those differences? I think some of that is way overblown. Okay, both of them share similar qualities that share the same uh, same type of person you're looking for. But the differences, maybe there are some differences, because there are some... There's a difference in context where elders serve, but also in the context with Titus and Timothy. For example, Timothy's working in Ephesus. Paul is writing to him talking about the, how he's not appointing elders. He's talking about the elders that already exist there. And this is what they're supposed to look like. With Titus, Paul tells Titus to go and appoint elders. You notice how many churches he said he's supposed to appoint elders in? All of them, yeah. Appoint elders in all the churches. That's something that, that rattles around in my mind that makes me think, boy, God's default position for a church is that there should be elders appointed. That's what's supposed to happen. And if we're finding ways to not appoint elders in God's church, then maybe there's something wrong with how we're looking at these lists or how we're approaching spiritual leadership. And that's a, that's a, a problem that, that, can be a, that can be huge for us. Okay, if you look at this, this picture here, I don't know how much you can see, but I, there's a picture of downtown New York City. Okay, New York City is a place that I've never been there except to fly through the airport. And I've looked down over it as I'm flying over to the side. But I know that some of the, the big places and big cities that I've been, let's, let's take Rome, Italy, for example. Um, it, it's different than the context that, that I grew up in. And so you look at, like this guy here, a little different context than someone who is, is walking down the street in, in Manhattan, for example. And so if we think about these descriptions that Paul gives to Timothy and Titus, uh, a person who is going to serve as a shepherd in God's church, in Manhattan Church of Christ, do you think they're going to be just maybe a little bit different than someone who serves as a shepherd in God's church in Backwoods, Arkansas? Just a little bit? Do you think that someone who is uh, in Backwoods, Arkansas is a 
shoulder. Do you think they're going to, the, the people as they're walking through appointing the person, going to, to, to really spend a lot of time trying to, to understand what, what this person's uh, history is in, in, uh, in social justice and some of those type of things? Probably backwoods Arkansas, that's not going to be on the surface. But in Manhattan, that's going to be a discussion. But do you think if a person is going to be appointed in Manhattan as, a, as an elder, do you think that the church is going to spend a whole lot of time watching how they train their hounds and learning something from how they train their hounds? You see the point there? Because if a person's in Arkansas and, and everybody in the church has hound dogs, then the church is probably going to look at how this guy trains his hounds and what does that teach about this person and, and, and how they interact. Um, you see that, that there's going to be differences in how a person that is, that is in a large church down the Bible Belt compared to us, compared to other places, compared to where I grew up in a, in a small church out in the boonies of Montana. It's different. And so what our purpose is here in the next months is to, to look at who are the people right here, right now, that are shepherding and acknowledge that and, uh, and work from there. Okay, so there's our foundation. Okay, what I want us to get from that is if we just walk through Timothy and Titus as a checklist, then, then we miss some very, very important concepts, that, and, and we, we tend to get, get caught in the minutiae and, and forget that the big picture is that God wants people to shepherd his church. And he wants us to recognize those people. Okay, so Timothy and Titus, these are descriptions that help us understand this is the type of man that you need to appoint to shepherd you. All right, let's look at, at chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 of Timothy. Here is a trustworthy saying, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And we're going to continue on from there. We're going to stop for the moment. In both Timothy and Titus, there's a phrase that is used in the first verses there. It says elders are to be above reproach or blameless. Okay? And, and those words, you see them coming up in those descriptions. And that is, if we can think about it this way, it's like having an umbrella that is over the top of all the rest of the description. Hey, elders among you are to be people that are above reproach or people that are blameless. And the rest of the description that's underneath that is all describing what this, this blamelessness looks like. Let me give you an example I know that, that, that I came across um, a while back that helped me understand what this concept is of being blameless. And just as a note, um, there is in Timothy, elders are not the only people that are called to be blameless. You see Timothy, there's Paul telling, the, uh, uh, telling Timothy that the widows in the church that are going to be helped and taken care of must be blameless. And Paul tells Timothy, you must be blameless or above reproach in how you interact with people. And so this isn't, this isn't unique to just elders, but this is something for all of us. It's just that the people who shepherd us are a little further on their journey than the rest of us are. And they help us understand what that's supposed to look like. There's How many of you know a guy named Bob Lovegrove? Does that name ring a bell to some of you? Yeah, Bob's a neat guy. Um, his daughter, Lisa uh, Lovegrove Ward, now she's married to Chris Ward. They live in, in Great Falls and... Bob passed away a number of years ago, and his widow lives in Great Falls, and she's part of the church there as well. But Bob was, 
I remember hearing this story from him and hearing it from other people. And this is a great description of, of what it means to be above reproach or blameless. Here's what comes from the, the Bible dictionary. That cannot be laid hold of or not open to censure. Or this is really helpful for me. It implies not merely acquittal, but the absence of even a charge or accusation against a person. Hey, Bob Lovegrove was a guy who was always uh, he was, he was a pretty hard charger. And he had all sorts of plans in life and all sorts of dreams about doing this and that. And, and he ended up um, settling with his family in Missoula, Montana, and was part of the, the Missoula uh, Church of Christ there for many years. And, and Bob just saw things within the community of Missoula that he thought, maybe I can do something to help here. Maybe I can, I can help this community because I love this community. And Bob ran for mayor. And, and there's a, I don't, I don't know that, that, you know, that's not for everybody, running for mayor and, and putting yourself right in the public light like that. And so Bob ran for mayor, and I, I didn't know, I was really young when this happened, but I heard the stories later, how even a town as small as Missoula or Bozeman, how nasty the politics can be. And so what happened is, is Bob was, was, he didn't walk to the drum that, that, uh, that some would consider common in Missoula, and he had people shooting at him from all sorts of different directions. And there was a couple of journalists that were determined that they were going to find that Bob Lovegrove somewhere, somehow, had a, a lady on the side or that he had some kind of deep, dark secret and they were going to roast him and kill him in the paper. And that's what was going to happen. And there was, they broke into his car one day and, and there was all sorts of things that happened you, you think wouldn't, wouldn't be legal. But they could not dig up dirt. And so what they ended up doing in the newspaper is making fun of the, the music that he listened to in his car when he drove around because he basically listened to elevator music because that's kind of what he did. But even with these journalists looking around, trying to dig, trying to find where is this dirt that, that, that we, can, we can smear all over, they weren't able to find anything. And Bob went through and he served out his term in Missoula and he stepped out of politics there for a while. But he came back later and what happened was, I think, really noteworthy is Bob came back later and he told me, and, and this was towards the end of his life, he said, I, I decided I would run for the city council and I was going to represent a certain part of the community. And I had people that were on the total opposite spectrum of where I'm at politically, total opposite ideology and everything but would come to me and would show up at the, the campaign little office that we set up. They would show up and say, you know, you and I aren't on the same page on a lot of things, but what you have demonstrated in your life here in Missoula is that you love this community and you are honest. And I will go out and I will knock doors and I will hand pamphlets out, even though we're not even close to being on the same page, because I know that you love this community. And that is more than I can say for the others. And so I'm on board. Here we go. And that's what happens when we live in a way that is above reproach, is we're all of a sudden, over time, that we gain the respect of people around us, people that we might think that, you know, what on earth do you and I have in common? But it's deciding that I'm going to do right in the little things, no matter who is looking. And so this is where it all starts with Timothy and Titus, as he is writing to, to as Paul is writing to both of them, saying, when you... Hey, spiritual leadership all starts with being above reproach, being sincere, being transparent, not having stuff that is hidden, that, that, that is, that, that's going to, to come out. 
And I think if we look at our, it's, it's hard to find in our political system someone who is above reproach. There's always this dirt here and there that comes out and all over the place. But as spiritual leaders and as spiritual guides, we're for the rest of the world, all of us, no matter who we are. And Paul says this to, uh, to Timothy about widows, about Timothy himself, and I believe Paul would have said it about all of us, is that we're to be people that are above reproach. People that walk through our society and provide an example of what godliness is to everyone is around, everyone that is around. And so for hopefully that gets us started. Uh, what we're going to look at the next few weeks about what it means to for elders to be above reproach and, and and it means simply that they're a little further along on the journey and they're the example that helps us be what, what we're called to be. And so that's hopefully for all of us uh, in your life group you'll have some opportunities to to walk through this about what it means to be above reproach and to think through that and and ponder that. And so for all of us, what I hope is that we decide right now, I'm going to be someone that is above reproach, that no matter how much people in the world may disagree with me or or be in a different place in life, what they can understand is that I will be honest, I will be sincere, and I will love them. And that is powerful when the world around sees that. And that's the type of people, the type of men we're looking for that will submit to serve as shepherds in this church going forward. It's a message and news for all of us in that. Hopefully we can be people that are above reproach in everything we do. If you'd like to, uh, to become a Christian and start that journey today, uh, you're welcome to come forward. We'll stand and sing. And also, you're welcome to go to the back, and there's uh, people back there waiting to pray with you if you'd like prayers of the church today. Let's stand and sing together.